Hey everyone, Dr. Bernard here. Intermittent fasting has become more popular over the last several years. Taken by itself, without any hype or marketing cycles, it can be a powerful tool for weight loss, rooted in principle. However, with all great tools comes a need for precaution before using said tool. And in line with any kind of diet, it's very important to not let yourself get consumed by the numbers on the scale and by an extreme mentality that a diet may create. It happens often, and to many people, myself included. Video versions of both the case report and the commentary are linked in the show notes. If you hit the five-star review button, we can have some bananas together for breakfast. A woman ate 23 bananas after fasting seven days. This is what happened to her organs. KC is a 23-year-old woman presenting to the emergency room, unconscious. Her mother Jane tells the admitting nurse that KC had been acting funny over the last week, but no one was really sure what had been happening. KC was a fitness enthusiast. When she started college, she got into intermittent fasting to help regulate her diet. This is a time when people set specific times where they can and cannot eat to help maintain order in their diet. She noticed that sometimes she could go a few days without eating, and without making up for it, she'd lose a good amount of weight. She noticed that on the day she started eating, she'd have a massive headache after the first meal, but she didn't think anything of it. Over the course of the pandemic, Casey had felt that she had become less fit. She took it into her own hands to tighten the fasting periods of her eating. She saw a group of people talking about how fasting for days at a time was a way to not only help limit intake, but to also suppress what someone called hunger hormones. In her interpretation, eating more would just cause the body to release more hunger hormones, making her hungrier after every meal, causing her to eat even more. She believed this is what had happened to her in the years since the pandemic. So, by slowly increasing the number of days where she wouldn't eat at all, she would be gradually pushing down levels of hunger hormones and prime her body to get back into shape, she thought. She started by not eating for a day and then leaving an 8-hour window the next day where she was allowed to eat. The next week, she'd try for two days in a row without eating, and then three days the next. She did lose weight, but noticed that her workouts were sluggish, and the more days in between where she didn't eat, the more that she wouldn't feel well when she did start eating. KC had read online about refeeding syndrome that can happen when someone comes out of a fasted state too quickly. If someone fasts for too long, then their body would adapt to that state, so eating a lot suddenly can throw everything off balance. She thought she understood it and knew that taken to the extreme, eating too quickly after fasting for too long could be life-threatening, but she would never take it to the extreme, of course. It didn't really matter to her. She didn't have any syndrome. She was okay, but just didn't feel great. As the weeks passed, Casey lengthened her fasts. It wasn't intermittent fasting because she would go for almost a week in a row without eating. She noticed that she stopped getting her period. Her biggest concern was that if she broke her fasting schedule and started eating like she had before, then all of her work towards being the shape that she was now would be all for nothing. She knew she eventually had to eat and she was okay with that, so nothing seemed to be the problem. But one day, after fasting an entire week, Casey knew it was time to eat. She had never fasted that long. She prepared beef soup, which she read about online to help start refeeding and had done it several times with success, but it wasn't enough. Over the next few hours, Casey developed her normal headache. She drank some water for it and started eating some meat, and then her stomach started to swell. She went to bed feeling cold and shaking. Over the next couple days, Casey thought she was being cautious about refeeding. She kept it up, but her headache wouldn't go away. She would feel like her stomach was swollen, but she just let it go. 
Casey felt her heart beating in her head. After a while, she thought she was in the clear, and any risk of refeeding was over as she started eating. She was hungry, and she started eating some fruit, and she wouldn't stop eating until she realized she ate 10 pounds worth of bananas and left the peels all over the kitchen counter. Minutes after her breakfast, Casey became thirsty and started drinking as much water as she could. She felt bloated and inflated and thought that the water would help stop her headaches. She could feel her heart skipping as her headaches started piercing into her skull. She felt her stomach swell up while parts of her legs started twitching as the last thing that she could remember. Her mother Jane finds Casey on the floor wheezing and sweating without knowing how long her daughter was like this. 911 is called. Paramedics find that Casey drifts in and out of consciousness as she's brought to the emergency room where we are now. At examination, doctors noticed that Casey's body mass index was a little low. Her actual body weight was lower than her ideal body weight, which is a calculated and standardized clinical measure based on height and is used for things like dosing medicines. In this case, doctors weren't exactly sure what was happening, but what they were sure of was that she seemed confused and would drift in and out of consciousness. A quick test finds that KC has hypoglycemia. Hypo meaning low. Glyce from Greek meaning sweet and referring to glucose, a name for sugar used as energy in the human body, and emia meaning presence in blood. Low sugar presence in blood. Hypoglycemia can explain why Casey has altered mental status as doctors start her on a glucose IV, but something's wrong. If KC had eaten almost 30 bananas before presenting to the emergency room, and bananas are well known to have a lot of sugar, then how could she have low sugar presence in blood? A blood test finds that she has vitamin deficiencies. Doctors and her parents still don't know that she ate 10 pounds of bananas after fasting for a week because she couldn't tell them as she drifts in and out of consciousness. In her hospital bed, the nurse begins to administer the vitamins to KC. As doctors continue her IVs, they find that she's also dehydrated for some reason. But very quickly, KC starts to become agitated. Her muscles start twitching and her kidneys stop making urine and then her blood pressure started dropping. Her heart rate would change from slow to fast and back, while parts of her heart would skip beats. And another blood test gives everyone some more clues as to what could be happening. Doctors find that Casey now has hyperglycemia, high sugar presence in blood. This could make sense because they've been giving her sugar in her IV, but the test also shows that she has hypokalemia low potassium presence in blood. But why would potassium be low in her blood? She ate a lot of bananas and those have potassium. Casey's kidneys don't produce any more urine so the potassium couldn't have been urinated out. She hasn't had a bowel movement in the one day that she's been in the hospital so she didn't lose any there either. You can't breathe potassium out, meaning that that potassium must have exited her blood and entered somewhere else inside of Casey's body. And if most of the body's potassium is already inside the cells, then it means something must have caused even more potassium from the blood to get shoved into the cells. And this happened during the time that she was in the hospital because when she presented to the emergency room, her blood potassium level and other electrolytes were mostly normal. So how could this happen? The medical team takes a closer look at the blood test and finds that it's not just potassium that's low in Casey's blood. She also has hypocalcemia, low calcium presence in blood, hypomagnesemia, low magnesium presence in blood, and hypophosphatemia, low phosphate presence in blood. And if there's been more things going into her body rather than coming out of her body during the time that she's been in the hospital, then why would all of these have low presence in blood? 
You see, in a fasted state, the body becomes sensitive to insulin, which is a hormone that's released after you eat a meal, and the amounts of insulin released can vary depending on the kind of food that you eat. Carbohydrates tend to spike insulin levels while proteins and fats get a response too. This brings us to the idea of cell signaling. Hormones are the body's way of sending signals inside. In the case of insulin, it's a signal to tell the cells that new nutrients are here, time to absorb them in and use their resource. When the body doesn't get a lot of new nutrients in very often, like when you're fasting, the cells want to be more alert for the signal when there are new nutrients available, so they become more sensitive to insulin. In KC's case, she knew to start eating slowly when breaking her fast, to eat a little and then build up more over time. But when she finally let up and ate several pounds of bananas when she thought she was in the clear, the sugar rush from the fruit signaled to her cells to shove the nutrients floating around in her blood into her cells. Potassium gets pulled out from the blood and shoved into her cells, explaining her hypokalemia. Potassium is needed by the muscles to signal a relax, and if there isn't enough floating around in the blood to provide that signal, then the muscles can't relax, explaining her twitching. Proteins from the muscles break off into the bloodstream and gunk up in her kidneys, shutting them down. Low magnesium prevents the kidneys from reabsorbing potassium, making her hypokalemia worse. But that's not the only thing that happened here. Even though she has low phosphate presence in blood, her body's stores of phosphate may have been depleted because she kept repeating her fasts, and her actual body weight was less than 70% of her ideal body weight. So as a clinical measure, this could indicate a degree of malnutrition. The reason why phosphate is a problem here is because the body uses ATP for energy, adenosine triphosphate. Phosphate was depleted over time because of Casey's fasts, but also the sensitivity of her body to insulin caused whatever phosphate was left floating around in her blood to pack into all of her cells, regardless if they needed it or not. Some cells need it more than others, and they get extras from the blood, but when suddenly there just isn't enough available in the blood, then problems start to happen. And if vitamins are needed to properly use ATP for energy, then this brings us to Casey's next problem. Do you remember her vitamin deficiency and doctors started her on an IV of vitamins? Well, being chronically deficient in B vitamins can cause mental status changes just like low blood sugar does. And unfortunately, starting her on an IV of glucose was absolutely the wrong thing to do in KC given that sugar spikes insulin levels and KC's body was very sensitive to insulin. The 10 pounds of bananas she ate did her in, and because she couldn't tell anyone and her blood levels when she presented to the emergency room hadn't caught up to what was happening, things just kept getting worse for KC. Fasting is popular now in fitness and diet circles, and there's a lot more talk about refeeding syndrome now than in 2005. But the reason why doctors may not think of it right away is because it historically didn't happen all that often here in the United States. If it does happen, it's not always immediately obvious. Refeeding syndrome you might see in people who can't eat or don't eat for some reason. Those people might have a tumor in their mouth or their neck, or they have a severe mouth sore, or they have stomach disease and they don't eat for several days. Then they become critically ill for some reason, maybe or maybe not related to the fact that they haven't been eating for a couple of days. In the hospital, these people get sedated and a tube is stuck down their throat so that a machine can breathe for them. You can't eat when you have a tube like that in your mouth, so the medical team feeds you intravenously. If they don't know that you haven't eaten for five days because it might not be that obvious, sugar and amino acids and fats are sent intravenously, causing an insulin increase, causing everything to get shoved into the cells in the setting of insulin sensitivity. 
and causing organs to shut down because there aren't enough nutrients in the blood for them to use. If electrolytes in KC are low, then the answer is to replace them with care and constant monitoring as to not go overboard and cause high electrolyte presence in blood, which can be just as deadly as the opposite. This could have been avoided if Casey started refeeding slowly and not eaten 10 pounds of bananas so quickly after breaking her fast, or just not fasted in such an extreme manner. For weight loss, fasting can be a great tool, but with every great tool always comes a safety precaution. With careful monitoring and support of family and friends with her afterwards, Casey was able to make a full recovery. After this quick break from the sponsor, we'll get right into the commentary of this case. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Back in 2001, I remember the diet narrative was that you wanted to eat a lot of little meals throughout the day because this would keep your metabolism up. The story was, was that if you let your metabolism slow down, and that will happen during a prolonged diet that gradually becomes more restrictive, it'll be a detriment to your fat loss efforts because your body will be burning less calories. Everything is going to slow down as you tighten things up. I lived through this several times throughout the years when I was trying to leverage what I ate for powerlifting. Fast forward to now, early 2020s, the exact opposite narrative appears to be the dominant trend. Fasting and not eating small snacks all the time. This can be just from giving yourself a few hours a day to eat, all the way to the extreme where people fast several days in a row. All of these different fasting schemes have been criticized as fads, and I'm gonna be honest, I'm someone who has been watching my diet pretty closely for almost 20 years now, some years more than others. I think the marketing of fasting as we know it today is a fad. But let me be clear, I don't believe fasting itself is a trend. But 20 years from now, there's a good chance that your neighbor isn't going to be doing the 5-2 diet, and you're not going to be hearing him rave about 16-8. There's a chance if you're doing it now, you might not be doing it then. The methods that dominate today's discussions will eventually fall by the wayside, just like multiple meals per day to keep your metabolism up from 20 years ago did. But what disappears will come back. What's forgotten becomes new again. If you're just interested in the diet aspect of this and not the medicine that I'll get into, the main takeaway is that methods will always change. Principles will stay the same. And even more picky for the people who know their body really well, sometimes what worked for you in the past won't work now. What works now may not work in the future. And what worked in the past may work again for you in the future, even if it doesn't work right now. So in context of the woman who ate 23 bananas after fasting seven days, she didn't start at seven days. She reportedly lengthened her fasting periods and the intervals got longer and longer. There's likely more than one problem behind that, and that's not how you're supposed to do it. But if you've been alive long enough, when you say you're doing it wrong, someone else will come out and say, oh, so how are you supposed to do it, genius? Did you write the book on how to do it? So-and-so expert says evidence points to this, so I'm going to do it my way, and there's nothing that you can do about it. It doesn't take much to find information about intermittent fasting today. People will tell you about it in person, 
even when you don't ask them. A quick search online and the first results show you a number of schemes of how you can do it. I'm just gonna tell you right now, if you tell your doctor that you do the 16-8 method and try to justify to them why it's better than the 5-2 diet or vice versa, there's a really, really good chance that they're not gonna care. And the reason for that is because those kinds of details usually don't matter so much in the clinic. What does matter there is if your blood sugar is so low because you haven't eaten for 48 hours and your speech is incomprehensible, or your actual body weight is less than 70% of your calculated ideal body weight. That's something that appears to put people at risk for refeeding syndrome. Or you have massive micronutrient deficiencies because of how you manage the fasting over a long period of time. So when it comes to medical problems that can come up because of fasting, we're looking at hypoglycemia, low sugar presence in blood, which generally is a more acute issue to deal with than hyperglycemia in the hospital setting. Malnourishment and vitamin deficiency, all of these happening while one is doing the fasting. And then the last problem, refeeding syndrome which happens when someone finally breaks out of that fasted state, and everyone at some point will have to break the fast eventually. All of these can be life-threatening. This is what happened to the woman in the Chubby Emu video. The branding of fasting today in America is a fad. Fasting as a tool for weight loss is very effective, but with all great tools comes safety precautions. Let's go through those three medical problems. I'm gonna focus on refeeding syndrome, but first, hypoglycemia from fasting. Low sugar presence in blood. Should be pretty obvious in the setting of fasting, you're not eating, so the body has to dig into the sugar stores in the body. Depending on your situation, you may not be well adapted for it at first, so the body's gonna tap some glycogen, which is stored sugar from the liver, then glycogen from the muscles. Assuming the person is young and healthy and doesn't have any prior health issues, my own experience is that those sugar stores can last for a while, and the body taps into these stores to maintain a blood sugar level through the release of glucagon. Think of it as the hormone opposite of insulin. Some people can be sensitive to hypoglycemia at first, so if they tried to fast for like a day, maybe halfway in, they'll feel their hands shaking and they'll get a massive headache. General rule of life, first days are the hardest days. Really severe hypoglycemia is probably not common in this setting, provided that the person is young with no prior health issues and provided that they don't do something silly, like inject themselves with a ton of insulin or take unprescribed diabetes medicines, both of which I've seen happen in bodybuilding circles. In the hospital, given a choice between hypo and hyperglycemia and say you can only have one or the other, you'd rather the patient be hyperglycemic. Low sugar presence in blood can cause mental status changes, dizzy, lightheaded, and then you pass out. Well, what if you lose consciousness and then fall and then hit your head? What happens if you sustained a head injury and now your brain is bleeding, but nobody knows that because you passed out by yourself? Well, now something bad is gonna happen. Sometimes the mental status change isn't as obvious and someone might try talking and the words are incomprehensible, or they might be agitated and become irritable for no reason and when they try to speak, no one can understand them. I brought this up in a chubby emu video about a woman who had an insulinoma but didn't know it. That is a tumor on her pancreas that secretes an inappropriate amount of insulin. The keto diet that she did helped everyone figure out quickly that she had an insulinoma because you don't typically think a healthy woman of childbearing age would have a tumor growing on her pancreas. Hypoglycemia is dangerous. I think one of the problems, especially with intermittent fasting and dangerous hypoglycemia, is that it's probably not gonna happen like this in someone who's young and healthy. 
And young and healthy is the kind of person who's more likely to be into intermittent fasting in the first place. So that kind of person might come out and say, hey, I do intermittent fasting. All my friends do it too. All the people that I know at the gym do it with me. So I think your hypoglycemia thing is BS. But suppose someone who has an underlying medical condition and doesn't even know that they have that medical condition does this. Remember, John or Jane Smith Normie, who's your neighbor, might be doing this. They might not be so savvy as to what's going on with their own body. The more people you have doing this, who only have part of the picture, might be prone to issues. If they're older people and age would make it more likely that they have some kind of underlying problem, they might want to ease into this fasting thing if they even want to do it at all. I also want to touch on this subject, and I'm not a psychiatrist, but another thing that you might find when you scale to huge numbers of people doing this, some of whom will only have part of the picture, or they will take their own liberty to interpret things their own way, this can become a breeding ground for eating disorder. On the other hand, the flip side of multiple meals a day can also be a breeding ground as well. All great tools have safety precautions. And if you get a chance to speak to an internal medicine or critical care physician, you will see that anorectic patients who are malnourished and have been NPO, that's the medical abbreviation from Latin nil per os, nothing by mouth, for five days or more, they're going to get refeeding syndrome. You can't help but to wonder if this is exactly what was happening to the woman described in the chubby emu video. She inferred on her own, lengthening the intervals where she was fasting. The intermittent part was lengthened to the point where I think most people would say that wasn't intermittent fasting, it was just fasting. Next thing up is vitamin deficiency. These should also make sense. If you go overboard on limiting your intake, you can gradually become deficient in certain vitamins that you might not be eating day in and day out. This is for the ones that aren't made in the body and come from food like vitamin B. This happened to me back in 2017. After I was done with working with my hired coach for that year, I moved to a different city. When I look back at chubby emu videos from summer of 2017 into the fall where I started doing medical videos, I can see my face gets skinnier and skinnier. What I realized back then was that I was overcalculating the amount of protein that I was eating, so I started eating less animal proteins than normal. It took several months, but I got to the point where I just ate breakfast and then a small dinner. And by October 2017, months later, I had the worst insomnia of my life. Check out this video on this channel for how energy drinks accidentally fix that insomnia of mine. There's additional vitamins that can be depleted like thiamine, which is vitamin B1, which can cause an encephalopathy. From ancient Greek en or in, cephalo referring to the head and apathy denoting a disorder. If we're dealing with people who haven't eaten for several days at a time, we go way beyond the folks doing extreme fasting for a diet. We're expanding the people who have alcohol misuse, who haven't eaten for days, but need to have a fifth of whiskey for breakfast every morning so that they can function. These are people who don't eat for several days and vitamin B1, thiamine deficiency is common in these folks too. There's other things like zinc, vitamin D, and calcium. So when people say, why do I need to exercise if I can just not eat? They'll cite calories in and calories out. Thank you for telling me part of the story, but there's more to it than that. Micronutrients are not calories, and they're essential for body function. You also inevitably need macronutrients too, so you still need to eat in the end. So what happens if you start eating after not eating for seven days? Well, here's what we know based on what we've seen from people coming into the hospital. And just to make things clear from this point on, we're talking about treating patients in the hospital. We know insulin gets released after you eat. Some people might try to argue that there was some study in the 1980s 
that shows that a fat-only meal doesn't demonstrate an appreciable blood insulin increase after a fat-only meal. I like my butter and olive oil. That's not a normal meal if you're drinking that for fun. The pancreas responds to the increase in blood sugar after a meal by releasing insulin, which is a hormone. And one of the things that it does is it helps regulate the levels of sugar in the blood. Insulin is an anabolic hormone, and we know that it signals an intracellular shift of these blood nutrients. With more nutrients, there's more resources available for the cell and the tissue to grow. But like a lot of hormones, if insulin levels are high in the blood for a long time, the body adapts, and the cells become less responsive to insulin. This would mean that blood sugar levels stay high in the body for a long period of time, and we know this to be type 2 diabetes. On the flip side, if insulin levels are low in the blood for a long time, the body adapts and the cells become more responsive to insulin. With the intracellular shift in mind, if someone has become severely malnourished over time and hasn't eaten for several days, then not only would insulin levels have been low for a while, but other electrolytes in the body totally would be lower than normal because there hasn't been a net flow in. This includes, but is not limited to, potassium, magnesium, calcium, phosphate. That means that the cells would be more responsive to insulin. If someone suddenly eats a lot, insulin levels will respond. Because they're more sensitive to it, well, now that intracellular shift can become substantial. Think of it like turning the cells into a gravity well for nutrients. Everything around the cells gets sucked in. Multiply that by billions of cells. Hypokalemia, hypomagnesemia, hypocalcemia, and hypophosphatemia. In the chubby emu video, I did have to say all of those because there are cases where hypercalcemia can cause hypophosphatemia because they combine together and you could get milk alkali syndrome which comes from eating too many Tums, also known as calcium antiacids. So let's move a little beyond just extreme intermittent fasting for days at a time as a risk factor for refeeding syndrome. Generalizing it, we include, but are not limited to, certain psychosocial issues, anorexia, depression, substance misuse disorder, abuse, neglect, as well as inadequate access to food. There's gastrointestinal issues that could cause one not to eat enough, dysphagia, that's a problem of swallowing because of medicines or motor dysfunction, hyperemesis gravidarum, so pregnancy-related vomiting. Maybe eating isn't even the problem. The person can't absorb their food, so inflammatory bowel disease, shortcut syndrome, or they just had bariatric surgery. In the hospital, sometimes patients are maintained NPO, so they're not eating at all because they're not being fed for reasons like imaging or surgery. And everything I'm describing is when human beings are in somewhat stable situations, which not everywhere in the world will be like that. So now that we know that refeeding syndrome is a result of low electrolyte presence in blood, what signs and symptoms do we see when it happens? From hypophosphatemia, cardiovascular is the most immediately life-threatening, impaired myocardial contractility, arrhythmia, tachycardia, but why does that happen? Well, what's phosphate involved in when it comes to cell activity? There's the famous ATP, adenosine triphosphate, which cells use as energy currency, so you might have a lack of energy available for cells. There's also 2,3-diphosphoglycerate, which is in red blood cells that helps bind hemoglobin and oxygen. So now with less phosphate in the blood, there's less oxygen delivered at the tissue level, so hypoxia. What happens to muscle tissue in the case of hypoxia? Well, you have dysfunction, so that happens in skeletal muscle, and the heart's a muscle too, so there's the dysfunction. But what other electrolyte also affects the muscle that becomes affected here? What about potassium? 
Potassium is the predominant intracellular cation, and it's needed for the process of muscle contraction. Sodium enters the cell to initiate the contraction. Calcium is there to commit to the contraction, and potassium gets pumped out of the cell to maintain the electrical balance. When the contraction is over, at equilibrium, everything is at baseline again, repeating the cycle, so potassium is needed for muscle relaxation. And if there isn't enough floating around in the blood because of hypokalemia due to refeeding, then muscle tissues can't relax properly. So they're contracting and tightening up constantly. If that happens, there isn't enough energy molecules in the form of ATP and oxygen from red blood cells because there isn't enough 2,3-DPG, so you're going to have hypoxia. Well, then that muscle tissue might start to necrose. And then you get rhabdomyolysis, which we do see in refeeding syndrome cases sometimes, which brings me to nonspecific signs and symptoms. When we want to describe refeeding syndrome, we know in today's terms insulin sensitivity and intracellular shift of electrolytes. But imagine 200 years ago before humans knew what those ideas were. What would need to happen to someone for them to be able to explicitly describe what we know today as refeeding syndrome? And the answer is probably nothing, because even today, we can't really specifically describe exactly what's happening to everyone who gets this. Not everyone gets the cardiovascular signs and symptoms. Not everyone gets rhabdo. Other cases can have encephalopathy, neuropathy, fluid overload, and pulmonary edema instead. What we do know is that hypophosphatemia appears to be the hallmark lab abnormality, along with hypocalcemia, hypokalemia, and hypomagnesemia. But what's included in the CHEM7? It's not calcium, it's not magnesium, and it's not phosphate. With nonspecific signs and symptoms, a wide variety of people who for some reason are not getting the nutrients that they need to live, and a hallmark lab abnormality that's not ordered super often, refeeding syndrome is something that probably happens more often than we know and for more reasons than we think. As it is often repeated by people in the community, go slow. The same should be done in the hospital when it comes to refeeding these patients. Be careful of carbohydrates because they stimulate big insulin spikes. Proteins do too, to an extent, but not the same as carbs. And we already established that fats when consumed by themselves don't really appear to increase insulin levels that much. In the hospital, when the TPNs are being written, total calories can be calculated because intravenous feeding. So someone at the highest risk of refeeding, NPO, for more than two weeks, BMI less than 14, actual body weight under 70% IBW can start as low as five calories per kilogram of body weight per day. Or if it's a feeding tube, you can also do higher protein formulation. There's no uniform guideline or magic formula on exactly how much you should give someone in the process of refeeding. And just from my own experience, when I am finished with a diet and I'm depleted and I'm not feeling well, when I start eating more carbohydrates, I'll get headaches, I'll feel bloated, and it really actually hurts. It, it doesn't feel well, my heart starts beating really quick. So when you're coming out of a diet, you definitely wanna go very slow. And I'm talking about 60 pound weight loss like I had described back in 2016 that I had actually done years prior. And that's a brief look at refeeding syndrome. If we go back to the diet concept, Fasting is never going to go away. Its implementation can and will change. Its effectiveness as a weight loss tool is great, but with any great tool comes the need for safety precaution. It's not a panacea. It's not a cure-all. Be suspicious of anyone trying to sell you that it is.